don't want another heartbreak I don't need another turn to cry No, I don't want to learn the hard way Baby, hello, oh no episode of fear and loathing in cinema podcast it is the middle of october we are knee deep in spooky season october 18th here and it's just super fun the weather is cooler and we're doing all of that magic practically maybe i don't know I am your host, Brian Kluger, who I always try to not get hit by a team of cyclists on the road, but I am joined by the other hosts with the most. We have all the way from Miami, who loves chocolate cake for breakfast, Chelsea, how are you? I'm good. I'm feeling cozy. This is my cozy movie, so I'm excited to talk about it. I'm excited as well. We also have the man in Austin, who loves to put the lime in the coconut, Dan Moran. How are you? Uh, there are no other people I would love to do a late night margarita song with or whatever they were doing and dance around a kitchen island with than you three. Uh, I can't. I cannot. I cannot either. Um, and then last but not least, uh, Angel of himself, <laughs> Preston <laughs> in North Texas. How are you? Good, doing well. I guess my wife squashed that beetle because I'm still here. You <laughs> you are still here. If you can't tell, today's episode on Fear and Loathing in Cinema is 1998's Practical Magic that starred Sandra Bullock and Nicole Kidman, along with Diane Weiss, Stalker Channing, Aiden Quinn, and a young Evan Rachel Wood. This movie was directed by Griffin Dune, who, of course, was the co-star of American Werewolf in London. Crazy world. Um, yeah, let's get into this. I'm real excited. Um, first off, uh, I want to ask before we've seen this movie, before before we go into when we saw this movie first. This movie cost $75 million in 1998. What? The F. Seriously, I don't get it. I don't understand how this movie cost $75 million. I feel like if it was made today from Blumhouse or A24, it would have cost $10 million. Where did the money yeah. go to? Uh, Chelsea, where do you think this money went? I mean, I can only imagine that it went to the cast mostly. Um, I did. I did read about how they built. So the house is just um like a, a set so they had just had they just put like a uh i don't know what it's called it's too early in the morning to think about go to someone it's, else that's a, it's a, it's a set Is like it a camera <laughs> no it's not a camera it's like an outer set design yeah i read that too yeah. that they built like the set yeah in, like a like, shell like a shell and then they had the uh, the place and then they demolished it after so i'm thinking that probably cut into a little of it but not you think so that's like like not a six of a house. Million. that's not 75 million <laughs> yeah i'm just because i'm trying to think of 1998 nicole kidman was popular but i mean right after this she went straight into 15 months of eyes wide shut so um <laughs> i'm i'm trying to think like what like did did sandra was sandra and Nicole, like that popular at the time, they were demanding 20 million. No, that can't be. I no do chance. Not know. 
Dan, Preston, do y'all have any clue as to why this costs $75 million? There's no chance that their billing at that point was like $20 million a piece. There's just, it yeah. just, I mean, they make big deals whenever, you know, like an end game cast member in 2021 or whatever is getting $20 million up front. There's no way Sandra Bullock was pulling in $20 million for a witch, a witchcraft chick flick back then. Um, so I, I, I don't know. I, it, I was with Chelsea thinking about the building for a second, but then it was like, Three years later, didn't HBO like build the entire town of Deadwood for like $15 million or something? So it's like, I don't know. I, I have no clue where this may were production delays. Maybe this was a money laundering thing by some oil chic or something. Like, I don't <laughs> Did this know. Get, like, because I don't remember a lot of like insane marketing for this. Yeah, I I'm trying to remember if there was. I mean, I know the movie made 68 million dollars, so it went in under its budget. But when I looked it up, um, it cost 75 million dollars to make Practical Magic. And to me, Preston shed some light. Like, doesn't this seem like a like a present day Blumhouse romantic comedy movie that would cost less than 10 million to make? I think they're going to make another movie about the making of this movie. And we're going to find out that they pocketed so much of the budget. And that's why. Okay. Uh, yeah. Other than that, like, uh, than what we've already mentioned, there's, there's a few slightly special effect tricks that they do in here, especially with Angela toward the end that, mm -hmm. But they are but bad. Even then, it still it still feels like they just put a little filter over yeah. him. It doesn't seem like a lot. So I don't know why they. I mean, a lot of sets when it seems like they could find a house that has that operates the way that they needed to. I don't know. So I'm gonna yeah. go with money laundering. Yeah, that seems. Yeah, I mean, the costumes. It looks like Nicole Kidman shopped at Limited Two, and then they went to Spirit Halloween for the ending scenes. So it's like that's not expensive. This wasn't like a period piece. I mean, it has that quick scene at the beginning, but those people honestly look like they were wearing Gap jeans underneath. Like it was so <laughs> quickly done. So I, I don't. I have no clue where the money went. Drug, drug money laundering. That's where we're at. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I'm just. I'm just trying to think. Like I. Like the movie Titanic cost a hundred million dollars to make, <laughs> and I'm just like thinking, like, how did Practical Magic? It built the whole fucking ship. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm just like trying to like compare it. I was like, I think like um, Harry Potter, like the the last three yeah. Harry Potter movies cost like two hundred million dollars. Three of those, but Practical Magic, and we're in the same wheelhouse with the magic and spells here. And witches and shit. I, uh, I'm okay. So 75 million. We don't know. All right. Let's go back. This came out October 16th, um, of 1998. So basically, almost to the day we're doing this show, um, this movie was released. Uh, so 1998, I was 17 years old. <laughs> I was a junior or senior in high school. I did go see this in the theater. I remember it because I, I like my, Back then, my number one was Nicole Kidman. I love that woman. Um, and so I was real excited to see kind of a spooky movie with them in it. Um, I think I remember like, man, this movie's all over the place, but it's okay, you know? And I don't think I saw it until I got it on DVD a couple years later. Um, but revisiting it again, uh, <laughs> I enjoy. So um, Preston, let's go to you, bud. When did you first see this? I was eight. I saw it in the theaters with my mom. Uh, this is, there's probably a f three or so movies that kind of maybe define the relationship that I have with my mom or something. A lot of them have Sandra Bullock in it. The other one's Hope Floats. So <laughs> this one is, uh, I remember watching it with her quite a bit. And so it had been a long time since I've seen it when i watched it uh earlier this week and uh so before i put it on for my wife who had not seen it before which was very shocking to me i was like i'm probably going to remember like every line in this movie and i did it's weird how that stuff sort of happens where it's just like i watched it so much when i was young 
Um, so it holds a very special place in my heart. Good deal. Uh, Chelsea, you said at the beginning of this show, this is your comfort movie. Why and when did you first see it? Um, so I was 11. I did see this in theaters. My grandma would always take me to see, we would, we would theater hop when it was like, okay to do. Still um, okay to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but we would spend like a whole Saturday or a whole Sunday kind of theater hopping. And I remember this was the one like I wanted to see. Um, and so she took me to see this and we both really loved it. So for that, it has this really special place in my heart. Um, but I was 11 years old and it's just kind of the perfect segue into, especially with someone who from and grew up in Florida, it feels like this very cozy like fall movie that kind of will transition you from um like a september into october and into like more like a spooky season so for that and for a lot of other reasons we will talk about um this also holds a very special place in my heart did it make you want to try witchcraft absolutely but only but only love spells yeah. nothing nothing too crazy uh dan did this movie have a love spell over you when you first saw it and when was that uh i first saw it two nights ago on my oh. couch <laughs> he's a so, virgin i was i was aware the movie existed i'd probably seen trailers or posters or it in blockbuster or but i'd never watched the entire thing start to finish until two nights ago and, and so, so this wasn't a movie that you saw when you were working at the theater. No, I would have been like 12 or 13. So no. Oh. When this came out. <laughs> so no. No, no lot. There were still child labor laws back then, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I'd never I had never seen this movie before. Um, ever. Okay. All right. So we'll start with you then, since this is your okay. first time. This movie has like a 20% on Rotten Tomatoes. Um the Roger Ebert himself even said uh, that this movie is all over the place. It does not know what movie it wants to be. Why do you think this movie bombed? Why do you think people hated this movie? Oh, man. Um, 98. I don't know what the expert expectations were, but like I said in our little text chat yesterday, I don't think they make movies like this anymore. I don't know if people were just disappointed because they were like, look at what we've got here. We've got the two huge up and coming stars. We're putting them in this movie. It's a fun, different idea for a movie. Um, it kind of hits all four quadrants um, where anyone can go and see it. And it just wasn't what people were expecting. But I watched it and I could not figure out how this was not a more popular movie or how it wasn't more financially successful. Because so it I'm, has a full Kidman and Sandra Bullock. Yeah, so I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you right now the the movie that came out the week prior to this movie was Holy Man with Eddie Murphy, and the one movie that came out during this movie, like the same week of release, was Bride of Chucky. Um, so I feel like Hollywood back then in 1998, there the consensus was, oh, all the guys and young people are gonna go see Bride of Chucky, and then something for all the women, Practical Magic on October 16th, right before Halloween. So those are the two movies that went head to head, uh, Bride of Chucky and Practical Magic, which I feel like today's world, Practical Magic would be so popular with, you know, the whole Barbie Oppenheimer and Taylor Swift exorcist type of thing. Uh, I think it would be very divided. But again, I don't know. Um, Chelsea, why do you think this movie sucked? back then people <laughs> people didn't like it that's, that's, a, that's a really strong word okay <laughs> um i think people loved it back then because the audience score was much higher than any kind of crit critical score um i do think tonally it does have some pacing issues um just i will agree in that there's some some points where i don't really know it feels like it doesn't really know where it's going um but this is one of those movies that can kind of do no wrong for me. And I just think it was too much fun for like a chick flick back then. 
they they did have a great time in there um i i agree i i don't think this movie sucks so i think it's kind of weird that it got such a downplay preston why do you think it bombed for for everything that we've already said thus far i just think that well i don't know what the expectations were at the time i also don't know what the marketing really was at the time because i was too young to really comprehend those things um but if i were to put my critical hat more so on this and, and i love this movie and just like chelsea says it's like something that just it, it's just as warm as, you know, like a, a warm cup of coffee or tea or something like that. It's just, you know, has all these like special feelings to me that represent the season very well. But to me, like watching it, it does feel like there's like a missing reel or two. Um, like there needs to be some scenes that kind of better connect the dots for this whole murder plot thing. And then upon watching it again, I was like, especially when Dan was talking about like, you know, making a movie like this today, like what would it be like? And then I was like, oh man, what would a sequel or what would a remake look like? I imagine it probably would have focused more on the sisterhood aspect of it. Cause that's like one of the most, like the best parts to me is like, Sandra Bullock and Nicole Kidman have really great chemistry together, more so than Sandra Bullock and Aiden Quinn have chemistry together. Mm-hmm. But the 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 narrative beats of that that love story of uh, you know between Sandra uh, or Sally and Aiden Quinn's character is like still like on paper when you read it in a more like if you're imagine reading in book form i was like oh that's very pleasant i mean it, it's it's special because she wished that that sort of thing but i really think that it would have been ultimately a better movie if the true love story was about the sisters more so than anything else um because it has all these little you know moments of you know it's about personal power it's about you know raising a middle finger to the people who judge you and that sort of thing and i think like it would have been more impactful like toward the end of the movie when you have like the evil the the meanest mom of the the townspeople when she comes into the house where it had we would land more it would have more impact if they had you know had some more scenes with the townspeople because uh, that all that stuff was interesting but it's very it's very small because most of it toward the end mostly focuses on the murder plot and i would have liked more you know fun magic sequences because most of the magic is for dark purposes so there, there's some things that i would change and i don't know if that was like maybe the mindset of critics at the time like there's potential here for it to be something even more grand than what it what it is but i still love what it is and i i did read roger ebert's review and he talked about like how the tone is very odd and the soundtrack informs the tone um, right it does it it, it um, does it's it's really yeah. weird especially in the in the opening of the movie where there's a witch being hung but yeah. you hear like this little story book very happy music and it's like wait what's going on here yeah it's alan silvestri's score so i did read that they used originally the score was like a european score and it was more adventurous supposedly um i really would love to know what that was like because (laughs) it kind of does the not to knock titanic score too much but it's like the same melody but they just kind of filter it different instrumentations and that sort of thing and so it does it is kind of confusing when you're seeing like an an exorcism scene and they're still kind of playing the same tone you're like this should be much darker than it really is but um still enjoy it for what it is i also read that the the co-writer, the Akiva Goldsman, said that the the dire- his directors, uh, the director's cut was like way darker. Yeah, um, because it's based on a book with like source material. Yeah, as as the viewing virgin here, I will say, the movie's a complete mess because it's all it's like most of the movies we talk about are it's all over the place. But for some reason, it's like a lovable mess. Yeah. Like, it doesn't turn me off, but there were several moments where I was like, when it started, I was like, oh, this is going to be like a funny take on 
witches and bigotry and all that, like with the music playing in the background, I thought it was going to be comedic. And then it turned into a pretty, there was a 20 minutes of like a really kind of corny, quick love story where now she has kids and all this sort of stuff. And then a hilarious meet Joe Black-esque car accident. And then it turned like into Nicole Kidman doing some dark stuff on the road with this guy. Like it was, it's all over the place. I completely agree with all of that, but it works, which is weird. Like I, I didn't hate it. I was just like, what movie am I watching? Which movie is it now? <laughs> right. That's what it is. And like going to the director, Griffin Dune. I mean, he is the, the second lead um, in American Werewolf in London. He played Jack Goodman. Um, he also was in Amazon Women on the Moon in uh, a few other places, in a few other uh, movies like My Girl. But in the late 90s, he wanted to direct. And so in 1997, he directed Addicted to Love with Matthew Broderick and Meg Ryan. Right after that, the year after that, he did Practical Magic. Um, and it's just crazy to me that this actor who's known for John Landis movies and as an actor started in this like romantic comedy realm. Um, and it seemed like at some point he did want to go darker with it being a Halloween movie and stuff like that. But I guess, I don't know if the studio Akiva or something was like, yeah, Bride of Chucky's coming out at this time. It, I mean, say what you will. Bride of Chucky is a romantic comedy movie. It is about Chucky falling in love with Tiffany. That is a romantic comedy movie. It's not the same audience. It's yeah, it's not the same. <laughs> it's not the same audience. I agree. I agree with you because I'm a sicko too. But it is not the same audience. <laughs> but I, I'm just trying to think where Griffin Dune comes in here. Griffin Dune just kind of showed up out of nowhere. Do you think he has an artistic eye behind the camera? Is what I guess I'm getting at. This this actor we all know and love from American Werewolf in London, Preston. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I mean, I don't know if there's too much to really share about it, but it, it's just as peculiar to me as Fortis Whitaker directing Hope Floats. Um, so <laughs> mm -hmm. it 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 probably was just that, like he has some familiarity with both genre pools, and like maybe he could uh, put this together in a way, and because it has like a really great cast here, him being an actor might be able to communicate something. Uh, more genuine perhaps that that's the only logic that I can see in it yeah um I'm I I don't know where to like to put him at I because he hasn't done much in the form of directing I think he's directed like eight movies out of his whole impressive resume of tv and film of like two or three hundred but I don't know, Chelsea, do you think Griffin brought anything different to this genre of mixing because we don't get a lot of romantic horror movies really like we get something like crimson peak which is super gothic and serious but nothing like dan and preston said is this like something as fun as this so i don't know i i haven't read the the source material of the book then um so i don't exactly know if he he brought anything kind of new with how you know they mishmashed it together I know that it's a beautiful movie and that the performances like dan said um, between like Sandra Bullock and Nicole Kidman are just a plus. Okay. Yeah, I, I agree. I think they're really good. Dan, do you think Griffin Dune brings anything to it? No, nothing that hasn't already been. I mean, yeah, you could have told it was interesting that he was in American Werewolf in London, but this could have been any Joe Schmo off the street. I didn't think there were any like director flourishes that make me go, oh, wow, look what he did here. Like, like you don't think like a Mike Nichols would come in and just like change wow. the game with this. Oh, yeah. That would have been on. something. <laughs> yeah, that would have been something. <laughs> that would have been something. Um, but yeah, so we're going to get into the humor and the horror of it still. But going back to what we said earlier about this uh, movie has a lot of different themes and tones to it. It's all over the place. There's some really dark stuff of like physical abuse and possibly rape, but also people trying to kill one another and dealing with grief and sending your kids away when you're dealing with grief. Like it's a, uh, there's a lot going on here. And do you think that the movie handles its tone? Okay. And does it, it does that hold up? Like it never, today? it never explores it. You think it just moves on to the next scene to serve a purpose to get to the end? Kind of. I mean, they don't, 
go into like they don't they don't do it any more than that man bad we kill him bury him in backyard you know like there's never like here's the trauma i'm dealing with like they hold hands and you can tell that they're sisters and there's a bond and that they're supporting each other through all of this and all the things whenever nicole kidman comes back but there's never like a moment like the things that were done to me i mean even the even when she ends up um poisoning him in the car and he like tries to rape her in the back seat it's kind of played for laughs i don't know if it was supposed to but she's just like <gasps> you poisoned him he's dead we have to bring him back to life and i was like he was just trying to rape slash kill you like i'm cool with him being dead it I'm was cool very, it was very yeah i'm not sure they handled any of the deeper stuff that well but it, sometimes that's okay though right it well, it felt like a lot of. Um, I mean, watching it back, it felt like a you know this overarching story, but like a very like um, almost some little like vignettes that would explore kind of like um, let's let's do grief here, and then let's do uh, sister and family love with mid midnight margaritas, and then let's do oh god the sh the the uh, I don't know if he's a sheriff or something comes from Phoenix looking for Angelov. Like they're, it's almost like they're little vignettes and they don't have any kind of like true transition to like uh, one another. Yeah. I, I think the, how, what best like sums up those transitions and how abrupt they may be or not as smooth is that in the final moments, when it comes to the curse is lifted, is it? You just told us. It, but, but we didn't like how are we supposed to believe like they just felt it like so it's just like one of those things like there, there's so many things throughout here where it's like okay we're just gonna move on from that let's not think about it too deeply because as dan was kind of going through like the whole uh like as a lawyer i bet you he was like there's self-defense here like what what are they doing like they could have done like but so, they're also coming I, I from a, frustration. But they're it. also coming from a place where they're looked down upon. Like everybody in the town has their pitchforks, pretty much literally saying that you guys are weird. Different town, man. Well, yeah. yeah, but I don't want to be friends with all the like weird Karens of the town either. If that makes me a witch, like so be it. Like Which, I don't know. That's another thing that wasn't fully explored. Yeah. Like, wait a minute. Back in the 1600s, this witch survived, and now it's 1989, and these little girls are screaming "bitch witch" at these two girls who live like it was like it there's some in. deep, deep rooted stuff in there, and a lot of like hatred that wasn't exactly explored or explained. Like I, I honestly was waiting for a flashback where little girl was riding her bike with all of her friends in kindergarten accidentally mm -hmm. did a spell that scared off the little girls and now they hate like i was waiting for something no this is yeah. just them like we passed this shit down in this town and we hate those women in that house <laughs> from what i can tell it's just two two old women who go on vacations and drink at all hours of the night like they do yeah. nothing they seem awesome like i would hang out at their house all the time right yeah. chocolate cake for breakfast <laughs> and margaritas at midnight like they weren't out there like meddling with stuff they were buying fresh fruit off the street and drinking all night they were awesome they, they were awesome. really helped the community yeah, yeah. they did and so I, i'm curious because i never knew it until last night when i watched it again um so zoolander came out in 2001 this came out in 1998 but i feel like zoolander stole like the orange mocha frappuccino like thing from this movie because they're all like oh my god it's midnight margaritas and they're like all dancing to coconut i was like man this is like the same scene that's happening and i think part of that humor has held up because i died watching that again here and i was just like that was great that was a, such a good moment in a movie we love drinks and we love music so that, <laughs> that carries on it's timeless it's 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 timeless do you think that there's any sort of real horror here other than kind of like the realistic nature of abuse and rape or do you think there's like even like you know the Wizard of Oz-esque thing of like the striped socks going in and out of the ground disappearing or anything like that. Felt like it was an episode of Charmed. I don't know if you <laughs> yeah. remember those episodes. Like it never got any deeper where it's like, 
We spent 10 grand on these special effects to make a slightly European guy look spooky for a few minutes. And then that was it. I didn't think it was a horror movie at all, to be honest. I mean, it was kind of creepy, especially when I was a kid of seeing like the kids, Evan Rachel Woods character, seeing Angela in the near the in the backyard and like they don't see him. Like that was kind of creepy because that that just carries on that whole thing of like you know children have a closer access to like the ghost dimension than uh, adults do. So that that that's kind of like a somewhat of a horror bit, I would say. I feel like the scariest aspect for me now, looking back at it, is this scene where um, like a lady from the town comes in middle of the night and she's just like frantic and she wants someone to love her and they do the the whole kill the bird kill the bird like i wanted to explore that more that was so cool yeah that's just kind of the emotions behind that and just how you know the one aunt is like be careful what you wish for i mean that's a very kind of classic horror element and i wanted to explore that so much more but looking back i with what everybody has already said um but plus that i would have liked to have seen i guess whatever whatever else the ants were doing with um because they said they meddled in a lot of people's love lives and so i would have liked to have seen more of that yeah i i I do too just because that that whole little bit with that neighbor coming in and doing that thing with the bird and like you hear them say like she her she says like this crazy thing it's like i want him to love me forever and never stop loving me i was like oh my god this poor how many people how many guys are coming in and like gonna have the spell like where they can't get over this one woman uh i like that but i do love kind of the overarching theme of the movie where one sister is like i hope I never fall in love. And the other one says, I can't wait to fall in love. And then it kind of, you know. Yeah, it was a, it was a great moment of comedy. Now, as you're going through that, there's, so, man, there's so much opportunity in so many places in this film. And even as we were kind of going through that, I was like, oh, it would have been really interesting if like almost everybody in the town went to them for their, like with their dirty laundry or their dark secrets. And then they all find out like, oh, you've been going to them too? Mm-hmm. Like, like everybody like puts on this facade in the town of, yeah, we don't like them. And, but they really do help in some but, very- But you have way. an interesting point because in the movie, um, first, first off, before we get to this question, I want to know quickly, who was the better witches? Um, is it Bette Midler, Sarah Jessica Parker, and Kathy Najimy, or is it Stalker Channing and Diane Weiss? Chelsea. Stalker Channing. Yeah. All right. Stafford Channing is my favorite in this movie. Yeah, the Harvard alum. Um, Dan, what about you? I 100% agree with Chelsea. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's yeah. the correct answer. All right. So, a correct answer. So, in the movie, when they're out in town, Diane Weiss and Stafford Channing. Channing seem like they know the whole town's secrets, like Preston was a saying, because Diane Weiss says, Hey, that's somebody who can eat a pound cake in under a minute. I was like, how would anybody um, know that? So I think there is lore there uh, that was not discussed. And I unexplored. Yeah. Yeah, it would have been better. They just have like a unbreakable type of (laughs) set or storm of the century where they just know so much about everybody. But I I feel like uh, just adding like, building up that lore would have made the the ending so much better to where it's like when they all come together, it's um, to kind of rid, rid the sister of the cursed. I just feel that was such a missed opportunity to kind of build up that lore. Like it would have been funny if they, at some point, like even at the end is like, uh, and you young ma'am, you, masturbate to pictures of your husband's brother or something like like real dark it's like are you gonna help us right right and like i wanted to i want that and you know having a focus on the younger girls would have also been great because you would have their um their 
their youngness kind of come out and trying to do spells like when the young girl says like i cast a spell on you of chicken pox like that's not an adult thing that's like a kid thing and like to see something like that and then you see the kid later on have chicken pox like that was amazing um but i i think there was a lot here that is just unsaid but in order to get to the end of the movie and maybe Warner brothers had something to do with this is like, just get to the end that there wasn't a whole time to be explored. But then again, as Preston and I have said, we just saw a three and a half hour movie. I'm so happy. This movie was like, right. Almost at like 90, hundred minutes. Like it was, it's good that it wasn't two, two and a half hours. Right. Or do you want more from it? Oh, I want more. No, there, there needed, like I said earlier, there needed to be more things that there's too much, kind of going on with this story that they needed more time to kind of connect those dots a little bit better there there's so many like as i was like writing questions down like for instance okay uh maybe we can get into this next section of like what are your biggest questions in watching this to, to me like uh i i'm fascinated by the whole um you know one brunette sister one redheaded sister so the great aunt so their aunts are their great aunts I think. And then there's their mom. Where's their mom's sister to kind of continue this whole redhead brunette thing. Mm -hmm. That's kind of a big lingering question for me um, that maybe there could have been some more time there to kind of fill that out or maybe uh, put it, put another aunt in there or something to kind of. Uh, <laughs> I want to know. I want to know what happens if someone has, if it's not just always the two sisters, if someone has a boy yeah. or if someone, if one of the sisters killed the is, child. is gay and falls in love with a woman, does the same thing apply? Well, right. so that, that was the thing. Right was like, the sequel. Yeah. Cause there's no, there's no boys in the movie. Like, cause yeah. like, it seems like the curse was, you know, if there's a guy to fall in love, it could only be this angel love guy, you know, like it was. It, it's it's sisterhood of the traveling uh, witch hat or something. I don't know. <laughs> the traveling hex. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, and I, I'm trying to think of like a question. Uh, those are two great questions to bring up because it, they're, again, like the lore here is just, they say a line of it maybe, and then it's non-existent. Dan, do you have any questions, burning questions? No, I mean, we, we've, we've gone over them. I mean, I think all the questions we all share is like, this movie could have been a little deeper, maybe even with a few more flashbacks, maybe cut out some of the other meandering plots and kind of focused on why this town hated them still so much. And then it would have made it for a more satisfying uh, finale when the town came together to help them all right i have two more quick questions they're not like big enough to where they maybe need a deleted scene i just find them interesting because i wrote them down um one is uh this whole phone tree thing um that they have like the the, the women come together and they're meeting in this classroom and then they're kind of setting up this whole phone tree thing. Maybe somebody can better explain that whole concept to me. Um, but it seems to me that if Sally was a part of that, she would, she would have been lower on the tree already unless the, the whole group is like, why, why, why does she even come if we're never going to include her on this list? And so she just miraculously appears because of, you know, the magic that, uh, Nicole Kidman's character does so yeah why wasn't she further up on the list she would have been talked about earlier yeah I don't I, I don't know um I mean the phone tree I remember doing phone trees you yeah. know in the, in the 90s that was a big thing doing my youth groups and stuff like you were picked and like you were responsible for calling these 15 people to tell them about things because there was no internet and there yeah. was no email I mean there was email but nobody used it yet so it was like you had to personally phone call people and when you had like a you organization with like 500 people that the phone tree thing was a real deal yeah. <laughs> i can't imagine that now no yeah. texting back then um uh what was your other question uh the go uh, jimmy's ghost tequila like does that <laughs> cause does that cause uh them to just be rude and like tell each other's like darkest secrets 
like yeah was that his jimmy's ghost power working it's his like darkness coming out when they that's what what that's what i got from it that's what i got from it too yeah I, hey, let's let's all do that ghost tequila. That was instead fun. Of a, shit. Instead yeah. of a worm, instead of a worm, it's the spirit of a evil. It's man. a little devil. Um, I know I like that. And going back to that phone tree scene, we're gonna bring up who's the best cast member here. Um, we'll start with Chelsea. But before Chelsea, I've just got to say I think it's Nicole Kidman because she goes through the entire ring of emotions here. Um, from Gee, her Jenny kind of from Forrest Gump, man. No, she seriously she's like she's possessed she's battered and then she goes into that phone tree into the school and she's sexy as hell and she says the best line in the movie uh which is hang on to your husbands ladies yeah (laughs) and i was dying laughing i was like oh my god this is so good i think she's so good in this i mean i think sandra plays it very straight um, but Nicole, this was her movie to shine. Uh, Chelsea, who do you think the best castmate is here? I would agree with Nicole Kidman, um, runner up Stalker Channing. I love Stalker Channing, she's so good. <laughs> yeah, uh, Dan, what about you? I was gonna say Stalker Channing. <laughs> why do you th- why, 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 why Stalker? Every time she's on screen, I'm happy and I like her character, and she knows what movie she's in, she gets it. And you can tell she's having, I don't know. She brings the fun. Like as far as all the elements of this movie that make it a mess, she brings the fun in every scene. There's nothing, nothing wasted with her. Yeah. And you <laughs> love her delivery of the chocolate cake line. Like that was like one take. <laughs> so they went with it. They did. They did. I, I, I love that. Is there anybody else that like, do you think any of the males that the men of the movie stick out or do they think they were just like the one note person they are because when you see this weird montage at the beginning of the movie with Sandra Bullock's life playing out as it should like this guy like they're running up in the field slow motion but on the street to hug and kiss and it's to this kiss which is like so on the nose thing and maybe that's the joke of it like they wanted to showcase this sappy very yeah and it's why I thought it was a comedy (laughs) <laughs> i thought it was gonna be a very very funny movie like i thought oh we're really playing up everything on this that's what i thought going in and it was not but they didn't they didn't give that guy any lines that i recall so obviously he wasn't very interesting or a good actor and then aiden <laughs> quinn continues his his run of being like he looks like a a, a church pastor but every role that he's in is just him constantly getting cucked by someone else in his life <laughs> from uh, you know, <laughs> Legends of the Fall to this, you're just like, what are these women seeing you? They're like, I don't understand it. Like, you look like <laughs> you look like they're in trouble. Even when he's trying to be romantic with them, he has such like a dad or like authoritative energy <laughs> to him that even when he's trying to be romantic, I'm like, why is her father being so rude to her? <laughs> like, <laughs> he, he, he has he weird that. He has that vibe where you go over to your friend's sleepover and he comes out. He's like getting milk out of the fridge with just his whitey tidies on. No, yes. (laughs) Nobody does that here? Okay. Maybe not. I'm going to do that. Start having friends come over for my son. (laughs) Oh, this cast. Okay, so we've seen a lot of witch movies from Eggers the Witch to Hocus Pocus 1 and 2 to whatever other witch movie do you think practical magic is the witchiest witch movie of them all chelsea like where does it rank that's a that's a tall that's a tall question um the witchiest witch movie going by what like standard well i'll tell you which which movies i i I mean i love the witch the robert eggers one i love um like a like a suspiria Mm mm-hmm um i'm also a fan of the love witch not so much of the person who made it um but i also really like this really old veronica lake movie i married a witch i've not seen seen that okay um yeah it's about just this uh very old i mean 
she's beautiful. She's Veronica Lake, but she's from like the Salem witch trials and she falls in love with someone who's completely wrong for her. Um, so, I mean, those are my, my favorite witch movies. I, I think everybody kind of has a different barometer. Do you, do you want a scary one? Do you want like a more practical is, magic lovey one? Well, where like, does practical magic, like when you think of witch movies, is this in your rotation for Halloween or October or? Absolutely. Okay. So practical magic is there. I, I just don't think this movie is very witchy. Like there's not a lot of spells. Like they they do a few things in here and there's definitely a supernatural element. I get it. But when I think of witches, I'm like, there needs to be cauldrons. And I get the broom joke at the end, but like stereotypical witch stuff, it's not very it's not super high on my list. And I don't I mean <laughs> like Bewitched had more witch stuff in it. That terrible. No, the Nicole Kidman movie with Will Ferrell had more witch stuff in it. Are you sure? Because what about I the craft. The craft. The, witch movie. the craft is great. The okay. Blair Witch is not. I don't consider that a witch movie, even though it has witch in the title. <laughs> um, I don't. I mean, I'm just like thinking through my head, but for some reason, this one doesn't scream. I don't know. I, I, I see. I, I might disagree there because, like, the first two minutes is of a witch hanging and everybody yelling witch, and then there's like somebody coming over there to kill a bird <laughs> with a needle and the crucible. The, the crucible I, crucible I is a witch movie it is it no is. spells i do think there's a lot of witchy stuff in there here but i think it's more very like practical the, yeah. no not practical <laughs> um <laughs> it's very much the more kind of like earthy uh like the like i said like the cottage core like witch like forest small town aesthetic not so much bubbling cauldrons and um you know hexing every every man who whatever <laughs> what is cottage core like christmas tree factory you know those christmas tree stores in the northeast and they have like all like woven basket stuff like that kind of stuff very, okay there's a vibe it's <laughs> very it's a vibe it's an aesthetic it's very you, like, if you art- saw it you would be like i get that yeah very like artisanal you know the shit that the blair witch hung in the trees yeah imagine that but like tasteful and you'd be like wow this is a good decoration that but made by anthropology and it would be yes. perfect it costs 36.99 but yes that's, that's what it cottage core i love that it's blair witch twigs but <laughs> for for the the millennials okay i like it preston preston what do you got to add uh i mean nothing really more uh craft the craft is my witch movie if i were to pick something but i mean it i i think it's it's a mood more than anything i feel like maybe it doesn't have a lot of the or a big exploration of a lot of those witch type of stuff of the cauldron and everything that we've already mentioned, but that's also kind of part of its mystique. And that's why I kind of laugh at your practical joke, because this is more, there's not a whole, because there's not a big exploration of it. It feels more like they could have just easily removed the witch part of it. And it could have just been, you know, a story of domestic abuse and things like that. Um, but because they sprinkle that in there and they don't do a big thing on it, it it kind of makes it mysterious to me. Like, oh, like, I wonder what, how they, you know, live their everyday life type of thing. And so, um, so on one hand, I kind of like that they don't do a whole lot of witch type of stuff because it causes me to kind of lean in and, and, and uh, stroke my chin a little bit. But I also selfishly still want some more of those moments where uh because my big thing in this is like i wanted more fun magic scenes like uh, i i think that would would have punched up the, the the hangout factor of the movie to me and more like fun magic stuff between uh, mainly you just needed more scenes with uh with sandra bullock and and nicole kidman because i thought they really were great together and i, I wanted to see more of that relationship play out because it does say a lot of things, but doesn't do a a lot of things. And so, um, yeah. All right, cool. Uh, Dan, your first time seeing this movie, is this the most 90s soundtrack ever? 
Mm-hmm. Armageddon. <laughs> yeah. I think Armageddon still takes it, but it's it's very it's very, very nineties. I liked it. I don't know. I think this soundtrack, I think the soundtrack sold a ton of albums on CD. I don't think this was ever put on vinyl because I I would own it. Uh, but I think it deck did really well with like the Sylvester score and like the song list here. I loved it. Did Chelsea, do you like it? Actually, I mean, you get not one, but two Stephen X, Stephen X songs on this. Um, and that alone is very witchy. Um, but I, the Alan Silvestri, the score that he did for this, um, I feel like it's one of his most like kind of curious and maybe like sweetest scores. And it's something that I can just, I hear it and I'm like practical magic. Um, And I feel like it carries, it expresses kind of the width of the curiosity of emotions in this movie, even if we've all agreed that, you know, tonally and stuff, it kind of goes all over the place. I still feel like when you hear that sweeping score, it really feels like peak 90s movie. Mm. Yeah, peak 90s. That's what I think. That's what I think. The peak it's like, 90s. It's kind of music in the 90s. They all kind of, if you put them all together and you start listening to them, they all they have that same kind of feel vibe to it. So is there any undertone um, of a political or social issue that they're trying to say here? Like, is it women empowerment? Is it feminism? Is it fall in love? Always fall in love? Don't don't wave your finger. Don't be too judgmental. I like that. It's the the line where Stalker Channing, like, um, and Sandra Bullock, and and she's like, "Well, all I want to do is be normal," and she's like, "Being normal isn't isn't the the best thing." Overrated. And I, yeah, I. I ultimately feel like this movie is about because I I thought about it last night that this this movie is about all kinds of love, sisterly love, family love, um, romantic love, and just about um, kind of weaving those like very witchy invisible red strings and seeing how those go through um, your life. But it's all it's about all kinds of love. Yeah, I would agree. I like that. Um, Dan. Practical magic, practical John Wick. What do we what do we say? Oh, that's the easiest thing in the world. I want John Wick to kill Aiden Quinn in every movie he's ever been. (laughs) He's just standing there. He seems so out of place. You're like, wait, you have chemistry with her. That's true, true poison in that syrup, which is one yeah. of my favorites, by the way. I love yeah, that. that was so cute. And they're the like, what? No. The, the syrup thing. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then pouring it out. And then Sandra Bullock has that line about, like, uh, what was it? Uh, I, I guess I guess they didn't want that. What was it, Chelsea? What's the no, line? it's just like, I guess they didn't want to want that or they didn't want to drink, eat, eat that or something. Right. Um, um <laughs> and I, I'm curious, Dan, you have kids. Uh, do you ever yet tell them like no dancing naked under the full moon? <laughs> uh, I haven't ha- I haven't had the opportunity, thank God, to have to tell them that. But yeah, I probably would tell them to put some clothes on if they're gonna dance in the full moon. Like just some clothes. <laughs> yeah. Dance all you want, but you know, we gotta be fully clothed around these parts. Right. Yeah. Too many creeps. So too too many creeps. Um so Can I do something that might get me in trouble. Yeah, yes. of course. When it comes to the dancing, Nicole Kidman's robotic sexy dancing by the pool <laughs> is so uncomfortable to me. Like I was like, what did what was playing? What did they tell this poor woman to do? Because she is doing almost in the lane meets a uh Kristen Wiig from SNL having to be like an awkward moment type thing. Like, cause Nicole Kidman's sexy. Like this was the height of Nicole Kidman and the way she was moving. And like in that scene was so just like weird. It was like two in the afternoon. <laughs> it was, yeah. It was yeah, I wonder so if they just weird. had like a beat machine, like, 
and she had to just go with it like that scene i was like what is what is going on here i know that she's capable of being like attractive what are we doing it just (laughs) felt like they said now dance it's a party and it's like she's like okay (laughs) (laughs) it's like that gif of that girl just like dancing she's like i don't know what's happening (laughs) Nigger to do it from True Lies. No, that's sexy. No, that's- <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so good. Um, are there so okay, Chelsea? It's got a twenty-two percent on Rotten Tomatoes. What do you give this movie? Seventy. Seventy. It's a fresh. I think that's your first fresh take on the show. It might be. It no, might- no, uh, Jennifer's body. Okay. All right. So yeah. 70% practical magic. Dan, the, the first time you watched it, what do you give it? It's at 24%. I just double checked. This movie is over halfway. I'd give it like between 55 and 60. I don't know how you can't recommend the movie. I'm not sure it'll hit for everyone, but it is way too low. It is a good time. Yeah, it is a good time. Preston. Yeah, 70 or something like 71 71 percent i feel like we're on the price is right like i'm on 70 he's doing 71 why do you give it a 71 just because is it it your nostalgia with your mom or is it uh no i mean it's a whole lot of reasons that everything that we just kind of explained i think there's just a fair amount of greatness in this um and i think it's got a really cool vibe um and feel to it and i think that's ultimately what trumps everything else that we uh, discussed about it being somewhat problematic um, or that there's a lot of gaping holes here or something else that they could have done to make it even better. So I, I, I'm probably jumping ahead to what your question may be later on about uh, like if they make a sequel or remake or anything like that. And I think they're, they, they should. So I, th- I think they've tried. I would give this a 75%. I really liked it. I still like it. 75%. Um, very solid uh, all around. I think the witch stuff, the love stuff, I, and the, the, the performances are it's a super fun movie, even though it doesn't explore really any of it, <laughs> which is hard to do. Uh, I know they've been talking about making sequels, but if there were a sequel today, who do you want in that? Uh, who do you want in those roles? Or Same do you? People. Oh, so you want Nicole and Sandra coming back? Absolutely. And but Aiden I want Quinn? them as the ants. Yeah. Okay, as the ants. So who's who's younger? Want... Who's who's younger? So why don't you take the young Cam- Camila Bell and the Evan Rachel Wood? Okay. So just really go. Is Aiden Quinn still coming back? No. 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 He's no. he died. A beetle. <laughs> He's so dead. I don't know how he died, but he died. Like 30 beetles ate him. Yeah. It was very tragic, but it wasn't. He got killed in Texas. The star got him. The lone star got him. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Okay. So do you think, like, so witches exist? Do you think you would want them to add, like, a, a vampire-esque thing to it or a werewolf? Because they even say, nope. like, this guy is from Transylvania near Transylvania. No. Okay. All right. All right. No, thank you. No, thank you. Nice try, CW executive, Brian. Yeah. Right, right. Nice Nice try, Vampire Diary. Oh, they're going to live next to a lagoon. Maybe there's a creature in there. I see where you're going. All right. CW executive. Please, but not do it. All right, so Dan, to round this podcast out, you know, I know we we um, uh, asked this question online. Um, what? So this was maybe a blind spot in your cultural uh, cultural phenomenon. That was your blind spot. What What is your blind spot in cultural phenomenon? Um, I'm aware of these things. Uh, the Nick at Night shows. Salute your shorts. Pete and Pete. Clarissa explains it all. Like I have seen maybe a a handful of episodes i am aware of them but i have no like nostalgia for them and they i I don't know how i missed them i'm not knocking them i'm just saying i mean like i can sit here and talk to you about the disney cartoon gargoyles for like 20 minutes if you want to but i don't know anything about 
those live action Nick at Night Nick shows. Night. Well, which is weird is Nick at Night because was it Nick at Night? Like, Whatever. I mean, there was Nickelodeon. I watched all of those daily. Um, let yeah. you just say, uh, but uh, that's a crazy one. And so this was brought up because I said to everybody I could not name a Taylor Swift song, and Taylor Swift's out there, but um that's a lie and you know it it, it's not we're just gonna we're just gonna move on yeah we're gonna move on but but what what's your call but we asked this to people right any any answer i got got pokemon two or three times okay pokemon okay yeah i i I said power rangers is a very big blind spot in mine because i was a little bit older for it because so i didn't watch really any of it so i couldn't tell you I I'll tell you mine. Okay. My blind spot. Um, it's always been The Simpsons. Okay. Crazy. That's one of the biggest shows ever. Uh, okay. <laughs> He's like, I acknowledge that. I'm just. I acknowledge I'm that you question. asked for my cultural blind spot. Um, I will also say I love stuff like <coughs> The Sopranos and. I never got into the wire either. And I feel like that's, that's a really big blind spot for me. And I should, you know, best TV show ever made is the wire. I should. Ever. Well, I mean, best TV show. Chelsea, ever that's, made. Chelsea. That's fine. You're racist. I get it. It's okay. <laughs> uh, Preston, is there a big blind spot for you since we're kind of culture critics? Um, the Disney original movies, a lot of them, like my wife, had I, house? I, I watched a few of them like um i could go through xenon handful. what xenon or the or the girl the space girl from space no oh god no like i i watched like uh i don't know if they're complete original movies or or what but like you know blank check and brink and things like that but um not I watched Halloween Town for the first time with her like 12 years ago when we first met and wasn't really a fan. Um, so there, uh, a lot of those have blind spot to me. Uh, Game of Thrones, never seen it, and I'm proud of it. And I... Missing out. <laughs> not for the last season, you're not. No. I, I worked with people that talked about every damn episode all day long. So I knew everything that happened. I was like, just talk about it. I don't care. Um, also, this may be the biggest surprise. Breaking Bad. <gasps> man, you're missing out too, man. You gotta you're watch. Really that. missing so out. It's Holy so shit. Ah. Yeah, those those are two great. Those are two great ones. I mean, I'm telling you, mine is Beyonce and um, Taylor Swift. I do not. I could not tell you big enough things that they've done. Yeah, I'm the same with Beyonce. <laughs> Really know who is who is Beyonce married to? Jay Z. Okay, I mean, I mean, I know Jay Z. Can you name one of her songs? I could name you probably a Destiny's Child song. <laughs> did you? Did but that's not a song. Beyonce song. Did you watch her perform the Super Bowl? No, I actually didn't. Oh, but I mean, like that's see, I don't consider that if that's not your kind of music, it's tough to be like that's a whole blind spot because you know she's married to Jay Z. You know the type of music she does. It may just not be your cup of tea, right? You know what I mean. Yeah, that's yeah. But I, that's that's an okay one. I feel like mine. I'm like I tell people I'm like oh, Pete and Pete were like brothers, and they're like, you don't know about Pete and Pete. <laughs> oh my god, Pete and Pete was so weird, and I loved it so much. Or Chelsea cool. with the the Simpsons must people must give you crap about that. Well, well I'm not giving they crap. I say, but like that's like the biggest TV show ever made. It's still on, yeah. and it's like it, it never- was such a part of pop culture for so but i think i think what we're saying is it's like we never got roped into these so they're blind spot like we're aware of them and we have like cursory knowledge like chelsea knows who bart simpson is like i can name pete and pete like preston knows game of thrones like you know can be like oh john snow's a character like we know peripherally who these things are it's just we never got into them like and that's it's weird to like have conversations because people get so taken aback i mean i'm right with Chelsea I haven't I haven't really watched a bunch of Simpson episodes because when I was a kid I would be watching something I really wanted to watch and it would come on and be like oh I, I was the same way with Seinfeld when I was younger yeah and then I found it later and I was like this is amazing and yeah. what mm-hmm. the 
You're going to do that with Breaking Bad when you finally watch it. <laughs> You're like, this is amazing. He's not saying any of it's bad. Like, none of us are saying it's bad. That's, that's the part. Right. Just, oh, we missed it. Yeah, we missed. Yeah, I, I get it. I get it. I wish I wish that. Yeah, we should do that as a project. <laughs> we should do. Yeah, we should. We should bring Brian to the era's screening. Oh, I would do that in a second. That would be. I would love to do that, actually. That's, Three hours of my, I would do that in two seconds. My wife would come with us. So, we got <laughs> oh God. All right. Make it happen. I'll do it. <laughs> make it happen. Um, all right. That is our episode of Fear and Loathing in Cinema podcast for this week, October 18th. We will be back next week. Um, Dan, where can everybody find you? Fear and Loathing, Instagram. It's going good. We actually have a little bit of engagement here and there. What movie are we doing next week? Oh, well, we're going to surprise everybody. We'll see. Right. We'll see. Uh, Chelsea, where can everybody find you? You can find me uh, on anything as Chelsea Nico or on Twitter as Miss underscore Tenenbaum. There you go. Uh, Preston. I'm Blu-ray daddy. Uh, Blu-ray dad on. <laughs> <laughs> Blu-ray dad on Instagram and uh, Preston Barta everywhere else. There you and- go. Been on dittonrc.com and freshfiction.tv. Hell yeah. Uh, Brian Kluger everywhere. Type that in. You'll find me. Highdepthdigest.com. Find articles and reviews. All good. Uh, thank you so much. This was such a fun. You can find Practical Magic streaming live on Hulu.